Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs>
broadcasting live to billions of people. Camels on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty. Because we have 
because we've developed such a, a, a large listenership, you know, we've got we've got a lot more pull than we did when we first started out. We've had uh, quite a few folks on the show uh, as guests here. We've had uh, the uh, Knox family on, uh, Neil Knox and Chris Knox from the, uh, the Knox Report. Uh, did I say Neil Knox? Again, these are Neil Knox's sons. Uh, and uh, we've had uh, Sheriff Richard Mack. We've had Dr. David Hackett Fisher. We've had uh, the head of the uh, uh, Jews for the uh, Preservation of Firearms. Uh, he came on the show, I guess, about, uh, well, you know, it must have been about two years ago, right? It wasn't long before he passed on. And uh, I'm gonna, I would like to get uh, uh, the new head of uh, uh, JPOF to come on to the show, too, and uh, and talk about their program there because... They've got a, a fantastic organization that has done so much uh, to safeguard and protect uh, the the Second Amendment rights for everybody, not just for Jews, but for everybody. And uh, let's see who else we've had. We've had uh, a ton of folks. We've had Masad Ayub on. We've had uh, 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 Larry Pratt from Gun Owners of America. Uh, we've had uh, uh, a ton of folks uh, on the show as guests, and that means that we've had, and Beth Schoenberg from the uh, Dairy Brownfield show, she's got her own show up now, and uh, uh, co-host, if you wouldn't mind uh, listing her new show and website space too, she sent me an email, uh, I guess yesterday or something, that uh, saying, hey, what's going on? And uh, because I realized that my emails to her kept going for the Derek Brownfield show and getting returned. So if you'll uh, list uh, uh, Beth Schoenberg's uh, new show and address and stuff, that would be great. Uh, we've had tons of folks on the show, and I'll be glad to go after uh, anybody that uh, that you suggest, uh, to, you know, to a certain degree. Uh, they've got to be kind of relevant to what we're saying, uh, including politicians, uh, anybody like that. <clears throat> We'd like to get them on the show. So, But I'm not going to – you'll either have to do one or two things. You'll either have to listen to the folks that I decide uh, should be guests for the show, uh, or you can uh, make suggestions, which I will respect and attempt to uh, uh, to comply with, uh, and we'll get those folks on, all right? So uh, for the folks that are listening to the show, be sure and uh, and be thinking about that, thinking about what guests you would like to hear on the show. We have uh, a boss come on the show every now and then, Fred, and uh, that always uh, brings up a lot of folks listening. We've got uh, David Hackett Fisher, who wrote our, uh, you know, I used to say unofficial uh, a textbook and uh, pretty much an official one now. He wrote uh, Paul Revere's Ride. We had him come on for that. And then uh, I believe we had him come on uh, for Washington Crossing the Delaware. And uh, we'd like to have him come on again. He's an amazingly intelligent uh, writer. And if you read any of his books, if you read Paul Revere's Ride, you know that uh, the detail, the amount of effort 
that uh, Dr. Fisher spent in collecting the data and putting it together in a readable fashion, and not just a readable fashion. Uh, I mean, it is a uh, it's a, almost as good as some of the uh, the fiction stories that are out there. He does a great job of it, and uh, and he's done that in all the books that he's written. So I think we're going to have him come on the show again uh, pretty soon. And uh, uh, I'm trying to get uh, the author. I just read a a, uh, a self-defense book. I think I was telling you guys about this the other day. I uh, just read a self-defense book uh, written by this author, and uh, one of the uh, one of the best uh, self-defense books that I've that I've read in a long time. Not because of uh, that it teaches you how to do. Uh, uh, karate or teaches you uh, any special tricks or anything. It's because of the common sense uh, on the pages. Surviving uh, dangerous situations, dangerous encounters uh, with other human beings often has a great deal to do with uh, with common sense and yet and yet people are determined not to possess it at the time they need it. Anyway, his book is uh, is packed uh, with an amazing amount of common sense. Not only that, but uh, I told you, you know, I, 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 could, I could try and search for the uh, for the name of the, the author. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do that because of... Uh, because I already brought the subject up. So I'm going to do that. Now, you guys know when I start typing, my my voice slows down. Uh, and uh, okay. All right. Let me make sure I'm telling you the... Uh, the correct information here because uh, because I want to make sure that I'm getting this right. Okay. Jerry Van Cook. There you go. Jerry Van Cook uh uh, wrote uh, some of the Mac Bowen executioner uh, novels that uh, helped me get through uh, my uh, my junior high years. Anyway, he's written a great book, and I'd like for him to come on the show and talk to you guys about uh, about common sense self defense because he's he's got a fantastic take on it, and I'll try and get. Uh, I'll try and get his uh, the information and stuff to the co-host for next week so he can put it in there. So you can take a look at the book. I'll try and develop a book list, too, somewhere that you can look at uh, <clears throat> so that I can help, so that I can recommend the book to you. At one point, Blog Talk used to have a, uh, when I was doing the, when I would set the show, they had some type of an agreement with Amazon. So when I was doing the show, I could also uh, select a, I don't know, three or four books that I've read and put them up on there 
uh, as recommended books that you could look at and read, but they don't do that anymore. Anyway, the whole point of this long story that uh, should be shorter is that uh, that you guys uh, you guys are at the controls for the show. If you want to hear uh, somebody, uh, if you want to hear somebody on the show, then uh, it's your duty to get the information to me. Yeah, I can see it's unbridled liberty. We can only tell when you're a multitasking. Yeah, I'm sure you can because. Uh, I start to sound a, a bit moronic when I do. Uh, so, anyway, you guys get the uh, the folks that you would like to hear on the show as guests, uh, and I'll do my best to get them on. All right. Now that includes uh, that includes you guys. If you have uh, a story you want to tell on the on the show, then I would love to have you come on the show and tell the story. Uh, if you want to uh, do one of your uh, strikes, uh, then you're always more than welcome to come on the show, and we'll get you recorded on the show doing the uh, one of the three strikes. If you have uh, some type, uh, some type of uh, of a poem or uh, uh, or some type of a uh, you know a short, it's got to be pretty short. Uh, like a, a page or so story uh, or anything that you want to uh, to bring on that you normally discuss at Appleseed and stuff. And we'd, we'd love to hear that too. If you have uh, uh, your kids that have done something, we've got uh, Freedom V. Uh, when we spoke with him last week, uh, his daughter had, uh, I believe, either written some stories or poetry and she'd done them somewhere, and we want her to come on the show and uh, to read the poem on the show. So if you have any of your kids that you'd like to do that, uh, then we'd be glad to get them on. Also, if you have a uh, some type of commercial venture that you're trying to get started, if you've got a business you're starting, if you... Uh, have some product that you're selling, then uh, we want to help you out. We always want to help uh, lift up our brothers and sisters at Appleseed. And uh, we'll be glad to get your info out over the air. We've got uh, uh, Beth Schoenberg, who was a longtime uh, host over at Gary Brownfield's show. Now, she's got the Common Sense Coalition, the CSC uh, talk radio show. And that's at www.csctalkradio.com. And uh, she's been one of the best friends uh, to the program that we've had. I'm not talking about the radio show. I'm talking about the Alpsy Project. But, but yeah, she is a friend to the, to the radio show, too. And uh, you can listen to her live on her radio show or by podcast. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, Blue Feather and Charles Glock, they are still uh, churning out the handmade soap out in New Mexico. And you've heard me say uh, many times before how much I enjoyed their product. So if you need some handmade soap, then that's who you go and see. You go and see one of your Appleseed brothers and sisters, and you get it from them, all right? The product is an excellent product. Uh, it is amazingly affordable, and you're helping.
helping out them in the project uh, when you do it. We've got uh, Jimmy, who is uh, he's a red hat out in uh, uh, Carlsbad, who has uh, Desert Eagle Farms. And uh, you can get that by going to uh, deserteaglefarms.myefoods.com, and you can get some uh, storable, long-term storable food from him. Jimmy is also now a uh, uh, a dealer for the Mill Dot Master. He's giving the apple seeders a discount on this. Uh, it's like a five dollar discount on the uh, the normally thirty dollar thing. I think he'll give it to you for twenty five bucks and free shipping. That's going to end up to be about ten bucks or so uh, that you're going to get on that deal. And the Mill Dot Master. It's really a great item. Uh, I got one. The co-host got one. And uh, if he wants to come on the air and talk about it, or if uh, he wants to put it in the chat, he can do that too. Because the uh, Mill Dot Master is a really great affordable item. If you want, if you don't, if you don't have uh, uh, $500 for a ranging device, but you do have 25 bucks, then you can get you, you can get the Mill Dot Master. And I'm telling you. It's not perfect as far as uh, looking at something through an eyepiece and, and pushing a button to get a distance, but it's pretty dang close. If you look out at something out in the distance and you know what the thing is you're looking at, all you know is if it's like a car or a person or a deer, you know what size that that item is. So since you know what that size that item is, uh, you can translate that into the, the size that you know it is, you apply it to the uh, uh, the master. It's like a sliding rule thing, and it'll tell you the distance. And it even has some uh, very uh, handy uh, ability to give you the data for firing uphill and downhill, or uphill and downhill shots, which are a little bit harder than you might think that they are, okay? So that is... Uh, uh, Jim at DesertEagleFarms.MyFoods.com. We got uh, uh, PokerFace who provides us the uh, the uh, the bump music, <laughs> the bump music for the radio show, and uh, they do a lot of other uh, really good. Music and they're great patriots. They're playing all around the nation. They're the number one revolution rock uh, band in America, and they do a great job. And uh, uh, they've been on the show to talk about what they do. And uh, if you want to, if you want some more music from Poker Face, go to PokerFace.com. And uh, and my. My uh, co-host has reminded me, don't forget to mention Battle Road USA. Battle Road USA. And uh, what he's written here is Apple Feed is a mission, and Battle Road is paying the bills. And that's kind of the case for us here. i got uh, myself and my partner, Mark Martinez, who's also an Apple Feed instructor. And we decided since we were already instructing folks in rifle marksmanship, and a lot of folks were asking for more. They said, they want, we want more. We want to we want to continue on our firearms instruction. And so we uh, we built a company around self-defense shooting. 
And uh, let me tell you, it is uh, it is a pretty amazing, uh, pretty amazing company. And uh, we're just starting out, but we're hitting the ground running pretty fast. We're teaching uh, courses in uh, handgun. We've got the basic course. It's only about uh, fifty bucks for our course, about fifty bucks. Have level one, level two, handgun, level three, and level four handgun. And uh, and like I think I was telling you last week that uh, the level one handgun don't don't even begin to think that level one handgun at Battle Road is a baby course. All right. Uh, by the time you get to the level one course uh, and you uh, and you're fixing all the blisters on your hands and stuff like that and uh, you're looking at the uh, the five to six hundred empty shell casings uh, that you just fired and you're reveling in your ability to draw from concealed in 1.2 seconds and then put uh, four rounds into the center mass of the target in the next second, making it a total of 2.1 seconds from your draw to the end of four rounds center mass on your target, then you're going to be very, very happy with your uh, new gained abilities. Uh, level one, level two deals with uh, with the the mechanics of what you need to survive in self-defense scenarios concerning uh, handgun use. Level three and and four are, are much more intense courses. And uh, those are not; uh, those are far from baby courses. Also, you'll be uh, shooting in many, many positions, including uh, from falling on the ground, from hitting the ground, in a vehicle, shooting behind you, and uh, shooting to your uh, 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 shooting at multiple targets, rapidly at multiple targets. You'll uh, uh, also be learning uh, how to the tactical aspects. And level one, level two. We don't deal with tactical aspects. We need to get you we need to get you down slick with your draw, with your presentation, with your ability uh to put lead on the target correctly and safely before you start getting tactics. But once you're in level three, we'll start adding the tactics in. We'll learn how to clear a room, clear a hallway, clear a building. You'll learn how to uh work in teams and you'll start beginning to to learn and see how how dangerous what you're doing, what you're considering doing is whenever you, you enter in on force on force, that's where you're uh, where you're you're put up against your uh, your antagonist uh, with airsoft, and you'll begin to see that uh, what happens when you draw and you don't move offline, when you don't uh, work your angles, you're going to see what happens. You're going to feel what happens. All right. So battleroadusa.com. That is uh, that's our website. It was put together by Kirby Foster. If any of you guys need a website, then uh, you can touch with Kirby Scuzzy on the forum. Uh, and he's not Scuzzy because he didn't take a bath. He's Scuzzy because that has to do with that's a Linux. Uh, it's one of the computer, the geek computer things. Uh, and uh, he can get you set up uh, with a uh, with a great website. But check out our website and uh, give us a call if you want to go to one of the courses. Where I'll have the new courses listed uh, probably in the next uh, 24 hours. We'll have the next courses listed uh, for the end of June. We just finished up uh, the uh, last level one, level two course uh, last weekend. Turned out really great. Uh, we've got a new shoot house up. And I think that we 
I think we have some pictures on the website from the new shoot house. If not, I'll put some of those up there too. Uh, because it is a, it's a, it's a pretty involved shoot house, and it'll be working for us until we put up the uh, the final shoot house, which will be down below ground, and it'll actually be a, a very large multi-room house where you're actually shooting inside the house with a catwalk uh, in order for the instructors to uh, to watch you guide you and critique you as you're clearing the house with live ammunition. <clears throat> All right. Uh, the call-in number is 347-308-8790. And uh, what we'd like you to do is call in. We got the, the beginning of the show. We always like you guys to call in so that you can talk about your local Appleseed crew and give them some uh, give them some some pats on the back and some attaboys for the jobs that they're doing there because we uh, we are, are very good at at riding our our apple seed members into the dirt uh, with uh, the amount of work we ask them to do. And we're not so great with telling the folks thanks. And, and in a way, I understand this because we're not a apple seed. The apple seed project, which you can find at rwva.org, is not a, uh, it's not a social club. It's not a social shooting organization. It is not uh, a simple uh, firearms club. It is an organization within a mission, a very important mission. And I think a lot of times, like, uh, well, I, the only thing I can base it on in my experience would be the military, and that is uh, when you're in the military, you you end up doing a lot of stuff that 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 a, a lot of folks I saw, I think, deserved medals for a lot of the stuff that they did. Uh, and uh, I think that some of the medals I got, I'm not sure that I that I deserved them as much as some other guys that I that I saw that would get to get them. But in the military, very rarely do you ever get uh, a lot of uh, of Good job or attaboy. And you certainly don't get medals unless you do something up and above and over the top. And I believe that's what happens a lot of times here with uh, with the apple seed is that uh, because we have a mission, because we're serious about the mission, and I think that a lot of times we forget uh, to tell the folks thanks, and uh, and we should be. And I want to tell. Uh, Floyd Ferguson in Dallas. I want to tell him thanks because uh, he has put in a lot of hard work to get where he's at and to be a shoot boss, and he's done a really good job. He has an excellent character. Uh, he knows his material inside and out, and he does a great job. And I'm proud to uh, be on the line with with Floyd Ferguson, and uh, and so I want to give him thanks. Uh, here at Appleseed. And I want the rest of you guys to call in and tell me. And there's uh, quite a few folks listening, and uh, there's a lot of folks here in the chat room. So I'd like some of you guys to uh, to call in and tell somebody thank you that, uh, that deserves thanks, all right? So get on the phone. Call, in the, call us at uh, 347-308-8790. And 
tell some of your local folks thank you for the work that they're doing. It could either be uh, they just got a new hat, or they just passed a PC, they just shot through rifleman standards, they just uh, ran an event by themselves. Uh, it could be any of these things, or it could just be the fact that that they show up every time you need them to, and they are absolutely dependable, and uh, and you can thank them for that. I'd like to thank uh, Doug Kibitz for the the many years he has spent at the Davila location. And we had a sh- every time we opened the doors here and had a shoot, there was Doug. He was already here. He had the uh, admin table set up. He had already put together packets for every person. He ran it flawlessly. Doug is really, Doug is really sick right now. Uh, I've mentioned before to you guys that that uh, Doug spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. He was in Vietnam with the Marines, and uh, and damned if the Agent Orange isn't isn't determined that it's going to kill him. It's determined, absolutely determined. It's going to kill him, and I'm sure it will. And uh, and that will be our loss. Uh, but uh, but until Doug got really bad, he was. We never opened the door here at uh, Appleseed that he wasn't sitting there ready to go. Now he couldn't do much on the line because even at that time, he was already very very sick. But. Uh, but he did a great job at the admin table, and he never got mad at me for the uh, probably 30 or 40 pictures uh, that I took of him, at least one at each event, of him sleeping down on the line while everybody was shooting. And he's sitting in his chair uh, with his ear, ear muscle on. He probably could have done it without his ear muscle. But he's sitting there sleeping down the line uh, because he was sick. But, but there are folks like that all over Appleseed. And the only way a lot of you guys are ever going to hear about about Doug is if I tell you. The only way I'm going to hear about your guys is if you tell me. So that's what I need you to do. I need you to call in. I need you to tell me. Just like we tell the story of uh, of the folks on April 19, 1775, just like we tell their story. We need to hear the stories uh, of the folks of uh, April uh, 2012. We need to hear their stories. We need to hear about their contribution, too. All right. So, <clears throat> be sure you guys uh, be sure that you call in and uh, and you give us some of your news. Now, I know Justin has called in. He says he's just listening, and uh, he's probably getting mad at me, but uh, I hope not. Anyway, I'm going to bring him there for him to say hi. Justin, welcome to the show. Justin, you there? All right, well, don't don't hang up. I'll uh, I'll close your mic. I'll try to get in just a minute. I know he said he's just listening, but every once in a while, I'll uh, I'll grab Justin and bring him on the air for for him to uh, to say his piece because he's always got something good to say. The rest of you guys, all right, uh, be sure and call in three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. All right, we're coming to the we're coming to the summer months, and here in Texas, it is uh, it's really hot. Okay, I bet that's no surprise to most of you guys. 
is really hot. And, uh, of course, I talked to Fred about this, and Fred had generously agreed uh, to cover the expenses for uh, overhead cover at the Davila location, which I think is a great deal because <clears throat> the uh, Davila location is running up on uh, running up on 70 apple seeds, I think, that we've run through here. Uh, yep, like right on 70 apple seeds. Uh, and uh, and it's been going since the very beginning. And I've trimmed all the costs down, every down to the, the barest nothing. So I don't know that it ever cost, uh, that it ever cost Fred really anything for here. I even built a, uh, outhouses and stuff so that uh, we don't have to rent outhouses. And uh, so he, he agreed to to put in overhead cover, which is going to be a boon for the summer months because normally we fry people's brains out here in the summer. Now, we put up the uh, uh, the little canopies and stuff like that, but uh, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't because uh, we also get a tremendous amount of wind here. Uh, anybody who's been to the villa can tell you it's uh, it gets a tremendous amount of wind. And there have been quite a few times when the canopies we're using, even though we had them nailed down and pegged and everything else, they ended up taking off down the firing lines along with everything else, uh, the mats and everything else. So he's going to uh, – he is going to – donate the funds for the overhead cover, and we're going to try and really push the summer with the overhead cover. I'm going to make sure that on the flyer that I have a a picture of the overhead cover for the uh, folks to see and uh, let them know. I might even put in a couple of big fans or something, too, for those few days when there's not uh, wind. But uh, hopefully that will get... Uh, that will get more folks willing to come out in uh, in the summer. Now, what you guys need to do is make sure that your summer months that you have uh, that you don't slow down in the summer. Just like in the winter, I know that the spring and the fall are the absolute best times to be out shooting. You know, to be running events because it's the the most uh, agreeable time for the weather. But if you're one of the hot locations, don't slow down because it's summer. All right. The mission, our mission is too important, and we've got to keep it running at full speed, regardless of whether it's snow on the ground or it's 110 degrees. We've got to keep it running. So make sure that your summers, uh, that you keep them running. Now, I guess I got a message from uh, SPQR. He said he doesn't have a, a phone on him, or he would call, and he asked me to give a pat on the back to Brown who is an IIT3 in Indiana that is the lead for the industry partnership team in promotions. He said he's doing a bang-up job, and he is doing a great job uh, because uh, one of the things that AppC is trying to do is is trying to uh, is to develop partnerships everywhere we can. One of the places was with with industry, folks that are – that are making stuff, uh, that are making rifles or, or other equipment and stuff like that. And uh, and we want to team up with them. We want to help uh, 
get their information out, and and by gosh, they can help get our information out. So, Ram, and I also got a another uh, uh, testimony from Unbridled Liberty that says Brown is great. Brown is great. All right. So, Brown, thanks for the job that you're doing. Now, the rest of you folks, the rest of you folks. Call in 347-308-8790 and uh, get yourselves on the air and talk about uh, your local crews and thank them for the job that they're doing. I know it sounds, I know when I'm saying this that it sounds trivial, but believe me, when you're the person on the other end, when you're sitting there listening and you hear somebody saying your name, saying you're doing a job, it's not trivial at all. Uh, and one of the things I forgot to mention about Jimmy a while ago from Desert Eagle Farms, Jimmy and his group also work to send, uh, they also have the organization called ChristmasForOurTroops.com. And uh, every year they send thousands of packages out to the boys in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, the American troops out there. And uh, I'm sure if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard us talking about it, <clears throat> that it, it may seem trivial to you folks sitting here in the states, but let me tell you, man, when you're a, when you're a line dog, when you're a, uh, when you're a grunt out there, or a uh, uh, or one of the uh, if you're one of the uh, uh, Marine Corps riflemen or an Army rifleman or anybody else or or, or any in any uh, any MOS out there. And you're overseas, and uh, it's mail call, which they usually do. I don't know whenever mail comes in. Usually they'll come in on resupply choppers or something like that. <clears throat> whenever you, whenever they yell out mail call, and they say your name, even if they just hand you just a postcard with ten words on it, I'm telling you, there is nothing in the world like that. The feeling that you get from that. The same way with uh, with having folks call in and uh, and mention your name and 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 to tell other folks that you're doing a good job. A lot of times, you might think that uh, your guys know what you think about them, that they know how much you value them and stuff like that. You might be surprised. At the number of times that uh, that they don't know, or they're not sure, and uh, to hear to hear it directly from your mouth, to say, "Look, man, you're doing a great job," which you should be doing at the events too. Uh, it means a lot. It means a lot more than you can imagine. All right, make sure you're doing that for your guys. Yeah, and the uh, coast reminds you that we still have uh, 46 or 47 lines open. All right. Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. As PQR said that uh, Brown did a great job at the NRA con- uh, NRA convention, and uh, uh, and also working on the uh, the wounded Wisconsin wounded warrior event and several other things. They just can't announce yet. All right, <clears throat> so. Listen to this, man. You guys better call in or Brown's going to get all of the uh, the accolades, all right? Okay, when we left off last time, we were talking about what happened after April 19, 1775. Right? Because we all know what 
well, the majority of us listening tonight all know what happened on April 19, 1775. We know that uh, uh, the uh, the events that occurred at Lexington Green, where it started off there. Uh, well, it actually started before that with Paul Revere's ride. And then the events at Lexington Green. And then uh, a short time later, the events uh, at Concord. And then the events at the North Bridge in Concord uh, at the end of the British regulars uh, searching the town of Concord. And then after they left Concord, we all know what happened after the British regulars passed by Marion's Corner. That began the Battle of Battle Road. They rode back the the continuous battle that went from Marion's Corner all the way back to Charleston Neck. <clears throat> and then we talked last week about the events that happened after that. How that uh, that they had the regulars pinned up on uh, on the Boston uh, Peninsula, for, for lack of a better term to describe it. As, as you know, Boston was virtually an island uh, at high tide. You know, at low tide, it was, you could theoretically walk over there in, mo- in a lot of places, but uh, you would be walking like walking through wasty mud, which is what happens in all the uh, tidal areas. But uh, at uh, high tide, it was virtually an island. You would get only cross over on Boston Neck. Well, they chased the regulars back across uh, Charleston Neck. And that was the the little spit of land that led to the city of Charleston, which is right across the Charles River from uh, from Boston. And uh, they pinned them up on uh, uh, in Charleston there, on Bunker Hill. And they couldn't go any further because once the regulars had hit Charleston Neck, then they became protected under the guns of the British Navy. And uh, that ended the events of April 19th and began the Siege of Boston. Now, once the Siege of Boston began, they were pinned up tight in Boston. They couldn't get out. And the colonists, the militia, couldn't get in. And uh, so there was... Uh, there was kind of a, a stalemate for a while until the colonists decided uh, uh, to uh, 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 deploy their troops on uh, Bunker's Hill. Actually, it was Breed's Hill. We always call it Bunker's Hill. It was Breed's Hill. Uh, they actually occupied uh, the uh, the high ground above Charleston and uh, built a, a redoubt and fighting positions on Breed's Hill. Bunker Hill was right behind it. It was a stone throw from it. That's where the uh, uh, the headquarters and reserves were kept on that that particular day. And we talked about the battle that went on and how it was uh, a ter- the the British regulars technically uh, won the field because they. Uh, they forced the colonists and the militia off uh, out of uh, uh, Charleston. They forced them off of Breed's Hill and off of Bunker's Hill. They killed a good many of them. But you can't say that it was a, a true, a really apparent uh, victory because they had lost uh, almost uh, 
almost 900 killed and wounded, uh, as opposed to the colonists who lost uh, around 400 killed and wounded. That is out of a force of of only uh, uh, 4,000 men total that they had available. They lost almost one-fourth of their men in one battle against the colonists. And uh, Gage and several of the other uh, uh, other, uh, uh, British Army officers uh, had said yes. You know, they'd written back, yes, but uh, we won. But uh, another such victory like this could kill us because it was so costly. Now, this happened in the interim when there was there was not an overall commander. Remember at this time, the uh, uh, Continental Congress was, uh, they were racing to put together uh, some type of a, uh, of a governing body for the colonies. And, uh, and at the same time, to try and figure out how to how to get command and control uh, of the colonial militias. Now, it was at this time that, uh, or a little after this time, that that Washington was selected as the overall commander of the military. But between the beginning of the siege of Boston and uh, and Washington's selection as overall commander. They had uh uh they had the the uh the commanders on the scene uh, doing the things that uh, they felt was necessary to do. Now I told you too that the Commonwealth Congress was really not happy about uh the uh, Battle of Bunker Hill because at the time they were running uh, a propaganda war, you know, a war of uh, of words, and they were doing their best to ensure that they were seen by the folks in Britain as the wounded party, you know, and and they were, but it was going to make it hard if the colonists uh, stirred up more trouble. And uh, you know, and began to attack and stuff like that because that that would that may make it look like that that they truly were rebels who needed to be put in their place, as opposed to grievance uh, uh, colonists with a grievance that uh, that were only fighting in self-defense. So they weren't really happy about that. They were they 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 wanted to get the guys under control and to try and. Uh, prevent anything else because remember we we're looking back at the American Revolutionary War with all of the knowledge of what happened right and at the time they are not looking at it like that uh, they are getting uh, they're looking at it from the point of they don't know what's going to happen uh, at the time they certainly had not uh, put independence on the table. Remember, that didn't come for almost a year. The uh, the idea of being independent of Britain. Uh, you might remember too that, uh, that that Washington had a flag made, and uh, he had it. He ran it up uh, on the flagpole there at the siege of Boston once he once he had taken command there, 
and uh, pretty much, pretty much got rocks thrown at him from both sides because uh, the flag was called the Grand Union, and uh, it was kind of a convergence of one of the militia flags that had the Union Jack up in the corner of it, and uh, and with the idea being, look, we're we just, we want to be. We want. We're not trying to to break away or become an independent group. We're trying to to figure out our place within the empire. And uh, at first, when the British first saw it, the British regulars in Boston, they thought it was a surrender flag. And the colonists, when they saw it, they didn't know what to make of it. So everybody was uh, a bit unhappy about the flag. So now the the British are pinned in Boston. They can't get out, and the colonists can't get in. Washington had several plans drawn up to make full frontal attacks on the city. And this was going to be done uh, by building a bunch of boats and having the guys go over in boats and attack. And I've got to tell you that that, that it was fraught with the with the ability to become a huge disaster. Remember what had just happened to the British regulars when they had attacked uh, the fortified positions on Bunker Hill. They had been decimated. They had been destroyed. And the last thing we really wanted to do with a with the the fledgling militia, the fledgling Continental Army, is to dash it upon the rocks uh, by killing uh, or wounding, uh, you know, a thousand or more troops in a headlong assault against a fortified position, and probably a lot of it would be done close to low tide, so they'd be trudging through uh, knee-deep mud to make their attack. So that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't be a great idea. Now, thankfully, he proposed it to his his council of uh, fellow generals and advisors, fellow officers. And uh, both times he proposed it, they recommended against it. And and he went with their recommendations because Washington was, he was a man of action. And for him just to sit idly by uh, in a siege where nobody was doing anything, it was not his style. Not only that, but remember the clock was ticking on the enlistments of the initial folks who had enlisted uh, for their militia services, they enlisted for six months or one year. The clock was ticking, and it and pretty soon that clock was going to tick down, and his army was going to disappear, completely disappear. Uh, so he felt that something needed to be done. Something needed to be done, uh, or, or or else the men who were uh, they were getting more and more. Uh, unhappy about siege life. You know, nobody, when somebody joins up, uh, when they join up in the militias to fight the British, uh, nobody envisioned doing camp stuff, digging uh, latrines or digging defensive works and and uh, doing uh, grunt work and stuff like that. Everybody always has this idea in their head, even now, uh, when folks join the military now, they always envision themselves uh you know, charging into battle with music playing and the and, and plumes of feathers in their helmets uh, flying and stuff like that. 
don't envision uh, digging fighting positions in the mud at night in the mosquitoes or pouring diesel uh, and burning poo uh, out of the uh, long line of a train. So it's one of the jobs that you were, might be lucky enough to do if you're E4 and below on a fire base, and that is uh, you take the half-gallon, 55-gallon, uh, the uh, the 55-gallon barrels have been cut in half, and they've been pooed all day in all day by the thousands of soldiers on the fire base. You pour in diesel, you stick in a newspaper or something to get it burning, and then you stir the poo as it burns. And listen, I'm going to tell you something, man. When that when that poo-fired diesel smoke goes in your mouth, you want to throw up, man. Uh so nobody envisions that, right? And that month after month of doing that, you got guys that are that the romantic life they were expecting is not materializing. So they're starting to desert. They're starting to desert. They're starting to get into fights and steal stuff and everything else. And uh, and Washington felt that something needed to be done. Uh, all right, I got uh, got my co-host telling me that SPQR is. Uh, it's called him, so I want to get uh, him on the line, so make sure he doesn't uh, have to spend a lot of time holding. Okay. SPQR, you're on the air. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Scott. I really enjoy it. Well, thank you, sir. Well, hit, hit us. Let us know what's going on. Um, Not much. I just wanted to, to give a big thanks to uh, a couple people. One of them is Brown. Like I said, uh, we had a really good, really productive NRA convention this year, and a big part of it was because an IIT stepped up last minute when somebody had to back out. They couldn't go for uh, family reasons, and he stepped into their spot and uh, kind of took that over, and, wow, did a bang-up job. Uh, he's already lined up, uh, like I said, sponsorship for the Wounded Warrior shoot in Lodi. Um, he's convinced ProMag to give us... Uh, some toys that we can raffle off uh, to help donate to the cause. Uh, and he's working on uh, uh, Cabela's uh, is another one that, that's really interested in, in partnering with us a little bit. They've partnered with us before on local occasions, uh, and they're looking to, to get uh, to get bigger and, and at least develop a bigger relationship with us, and that's all Brown's doing. So he's done a great job. Well, my congratulations to him, and uh, and be sure to tell him that uh, that you got it out over the air, and that uh, we really appreciate what he's doing. And uh, don't forget to uh, uh, to talk to the guys at uh, CDT because you know we already work with them once, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and then if you look, they are everywhere. They are everywhere, all over. I'm sure there'll still be one. I, last time I talked to them, they said, "Yeah, they'd be glad to do it." Matter of fact, I talked to the uh, uh, the warehouse, the uh, where they have the uh, the on-site store, and uh, and they said they would like to have a uh, uh, an apple seed for the employees. And they've got enough employees to you know fill five or six lines. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so you know, something awesome like that if, would if be could, uh, uh, would be great. 
if you could give me that guy's information and PM, I'll be sure to pass along to Phil because uh, that's what he's doing. But I would make the request that nobody tell Phil that I complimented him because I, I don't want the IITs in Indiana to think I'm going soft or anything. <laughs> I doubt they'll think that. Uh, not over one thanks, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to make a habit of it. I'm not going to make a habit of it. I just. Uh, I'll say thanks to that uh, one guy that one time. <laughs> well, that's good. And uh, uh and I have one more thing. We're thanks. working. To... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, and that's for uh, our state coordinator uh, in Indiana, Yellowhouse Jake. The guy works really hard. He's he's on the trail every weekend. Uh, we were talking on the phone one night, and I think uh, he'd been on the road 11 out of 12 weeks. And uh, he's a really good guy, and you know what? Uh, we're we're really lucky to have him. Absolutely. Yeah, and Jake's been with the program for a long time. He's always done He's done a great job for a long time, and he's a good man. Yep. Yep, he's a good guy. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got, man. Thanks for the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, listen, my pleasure. And, uh, See what? Why don't you uh, on the uh, the Thursday nights when you can? Why don't you give us a call so you can give us an update? And that'd be long, two minutes, an update on okay. what's going on, so that the folks that uh, the folks that uh, that might be able, somebody might be able to lend a hand with something, or they might get excited about what's going on, or they may just want to hear it and know what you what you guys got cooking. Uh, there, so give us a call and an update uh, when you can on Thursday nights. Okay, sure, we'll do. And uh, uh, here's another one uh, for the folks that have billboards up in their area. Uh, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, both Spitzstickler and Foppish Dandy have contributed a lot to uh, the design team, and as a result, we have some really great-looking imagery for people to look at. And hopefully, billboards are something people are going to see more of really soon. Well, I think that's great too because. You know when I when I put the first billboard up, I think that Fred was I think he was waiting for the tsunami of uh, mm-hmm. of people to come in, but that was never that's never what I envisioned when I when I started the billboard program. It wasn't because I thought that it was going to drive people in. What I my whole I my whole uh, uh, philosophy behind it. Well, it was actually uh, one of the guys up there. I don't remember who it was. One of the guys I think, and maybe in, even in Indiana, uh, had uh, posted on it that uh, they had heard somebody had seen one of the billboards here in Texas, and and they posted on it, and they said, "Hey, man, uh, I just saw this billboard for the Apple Seed program." And it was a completely professional uh, billboard, yeah. and uh, and you know we, we can't believe it. We thought you know Appleseed was just uh, one of those things in the back pages of Shotgun News or, or this and that, and they're and they're you know they're really uh, they're really coming along, and that was the that was the whole idea behind it. So different than if you see a billboard for a uh, Snickers bar. You don't you don't drive your car off the freeway and grab a Snickers. You might. I don't know. Exactly. I've done something like that before. <laughs> well, well I would, but I'm pretty competitive at the trough. Yeah. The next time, the next time you're in the store, you go. That's right. 
And that's the whole idea. It's yeah. just to it's to keep us in people's minds. And I and uh my thanks to uh Spitz Pickler and uh and Fabish Dandy for the work that they're doing on that. Kirk uh, Wheeler's done a great job on the design. Yeah. He designed that first one and and uh and they do they they're doing a great job of it and I think it's going to be an absolutely uh, tremendous help for the program. And uh, if anybody, uh, once again, I tell folks this all the time, but if anybody needs any help uh, getting a billboard up in their uh, area of operations, just send me a PM. I'll be glad to walk you through uh, uh, all of the stuff to get it done. So, well, uh, you have anything else? That's great. Um, no, I'll, I'll, I'll piggyback on what you said. One of the interesting things that happened at the NRA convention was that people commented on how uh, impressive and professional our print goods were. Uh, among them were the Trifold, uh, the magazine, the HQ, and Foppish Dandy and Spitzstickler worked on, uh, the reprints of the Shotgun News article. We had really good print materials, and uh, I had kind of asked some of the guys that were going around talking to industry contacts to look at what companies had better print materials than than we did, and uh, frankly, Nobody not does. very many of them did. Nobody does. Not very the many did. The that, uh, that Kirk put out was the, one of the absolute best uh, pieces of material that I've seen anywhere for anybody. I mean, it is yeah. a, a, an amazing a uh, piece of work. The design on it, the colors, everything uh, just came together in a uh, absolute fantastic. So let me thank Kirk again too on here because he's uh, he's done a great job of that. And I also uh, have been uh, I'm also asking him to do one for Battle Road too because he did such a great one for uh, the Applebee project. And uh, he's and a heck of a resource. The, he really is. Oh yeah. Yep, he does a fantastic job. And if anybody needs any uh, any stuff done for their company or something, it, uh, this might be a this might be the person that you want to to uh, to talk about uh, to talk with because he does an absolutely fantastic job and he's very quick. He's very he's very quick, very professional, and uh, I can't say enough good stuff about Kirk. He just he does a tremendous uh, a tremendous job, as does Kirby. Uh, and uh, so I want to thank both those guys, and I want to thank you too, because uh, you're doing a great job on uh, ramrodding uh, this uh, project, and and really keeping the folks uh, focused on what they're doing. So thanks to you. Uh, HQ's doing all the work. HQ's doing all the work. I'm just <laughs> taking credit for it. That's the way you hey, do it. Uh, that's the way you do it. Yeah, you get that's you put together a good crew to do the work, and then you take the credit for it. I mean, you you that, look at any right. uh, any successful CEO, and that's the recipe. That's right. That's right. Anyway, well, uh, thanks a lot, man, and keep up the good work. All right. Be sure, like I said, call in on uh, Thursday nights and give us a quick update on uh, the uh, promotions project that are going on. How people can help. People get involved and listen. While we're talking about this, if uh, if any of you guys are sitting around twiddling your thumbs and saying, "Man, I wish I could, wish I could put my shoulder to the wheel, but I don't know what to do," then PM uh, SPQR and tell him that you are ready uh, to join his team 
and to help out any way you can. And I bet that he will put you to work and take your credit. Oh, yeah, we got jobs. We got jobs, and I've got vanity, so we can get that job done easy. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a pleasure speaking to you. Be sure to call next week, okay? All right, man. Take it easy. All right. You too. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, absolutely. If you guys, uh, if anybody's looking for a job, I'll tell you guys right now that uh, that Apple Feed, number one, despite what uh, what I, what I hear, uh, all the different signs from people who are dissatisfied with the program is that uh, it's failing, and it's not failing. I mean, it's uh, uh, I'm not going to get into this too far because then I'll get uh, I'll get strung up or something too. But uh, it's got its uh, it's got its ugly parts, uh, just like any other. Uh, program or corporation or anything like that. Everybody likes a sausage. Nobody wants to be involved in making the sausage, and it's ugly sometimes. And but the program isn't failing. Uh, it's getting, uh, it's it's moving along, uh, not as fast as we would like, but it's moving along, and it's doing great things. The message of the program never changes. And that is that each and every one of you, each and every one of the folks in this nation are the answer to the nation's problems. You guys are the answer. There is no, uh, there is no president or senator or congressman or, 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 or anybody, any celebrity or anything else that is the answer. None of them. And none of them have the answer. The only people that have the answer, the only people that are the answer, are you guys out there, the people of the nation? That's where this is going to get fixed. It's not going to get fixed through the machinations of any president of any party uh, or any senator or congressman. It's never going to be fixed by them, ever, never. All right? The people of the nation are going to have to fix it despite having to, to bust through the roadblocks set up by the politicians. Uh, the politicians don't want you fixing stuff. Uh, that's uh, that's a, the worst thing that can happen in their mind. If you figure out the fact that you can fix stuff, then then you just uh, put a big hole in their feather bed. Uh, you've sucked the gas out of their, their airplanes they use to go in their golf junkets. If you start fixing the problem, then uh, you've made them weak. And right now they're strong. Because everybody is saying, oh, please, save us, Mr. Politician. Save us, Mr. Government Person. And and they can basically do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. If it doesn't get fixed, all they have to do is say, man, I wanted to fix it. There's a guy on the other side of the aisle. Man, he stopped me. we got to get rid of them. And, uh, and that's the end of their responsibility for it. All right? The responsibility for saving this nation is going to rest where it's always rested. And that's on the shoulders of just a few, a handful of determined men and women. Uh, You guys have heard me say uh, over and over again uh, that every time this nation has been in peril, every single time this nation has faced uh, imminent disaster and failure, 
the only reason that the nation wasn't destroyed, that, that the wars weren't lost, that the nation didn't uh, go down the toilet, was not because of any politician ever. It was because a group of a, 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 a tiny, tiny handful of men and women pushed it back off the razor's edge. That's who you guys are. You're the determined group of folks that are going to do this despite any, uh, despite anything done by, uh, by presidents or politicians or senators or congressmen or alphabet agencies or, uh, or, or even anybody in the Apple Seed program itself. It's you, you guys down the lines running the chutes that are going to do it, that are going to fix the problems in this nation. Yeah, I know that sounds like a heavy cast, a fearsome burden. And it is. But that's where it's going to happen. That's where that's where this is going to be decided. It's never decided in, uh, in meetings. It's never decided uh, in, in meetings of folks uh, who are discussing... Uh, the problems, it's always decided by the folks down in the trenches who are facing and living and dealing with the problems. And that's you guys. And we're going to do this. We're going to fix this. We're going to make it work. We're going to fix the nation. And we're not asking anybody's permission to do it. So there. Here's my, my yelling for the night, and yeah, let me uh, let me tell the co-host that I know that, uh, that that no no GI ever called the stuff they were burning in the in the 55 gallon barrels poo. Uh, uh, just trying to keep uh, trying to keep my my language family friendly. <clears throat> I have plenty of names for it, and for the people who are making me burn the poo, right? Uh, I wrote songs about them. I sang the songs as loud as I was like brave enough to to sing them, uh, and uh, and uh, and that's the way I dealt with that. But I burned the poop. I got it the job done, and uh, and that's what the folks that were at the siege of Boston were facing. They were facing the ugly realities of a siege. The siege is not glamorous. It is. Uh, it's pretty much pretty sucky. Uh, for those of you guys that, that have been in the military, uh, it's no different. I consider it really no different than, uh, than say, if you're serving overseas with a, uh, like with a combat mission, and then you come back to the States, and you're on a big base with no combat mission, and that's two completely different worlds. Uh when you get up in the morning, you do your PT, and you know that the most important thing you're going to do in the next uh, uh, eight hours is uh, get you and your squad, and you're going to sweep the motor pool. It's a, it's a whole different world. And that's what the guys uh, in the siege of Boston were, were facing. All right? So Washington wanted to attack, and... Uh, 
And luckily, uh, his generals talk him out of it. Nonetheless, uh, and let me let me read to you from uh, the Spirit of Seventy Six. Like I said, that's my favorite book. And if you guys want to get it, you can get it from uh, Castle Books. The Spirit of Seventy Six, edited by uh, Steele and uh, Comager. And this is uh, and uh, Morris. And uh, this uh, this is the words. This isn't somebody's interpretation of what these guys were saying. This isn't somebody saying, "Well, I read this the the letters from the guys in the in the trenches there, and here's what I think they were trying to say." This is the word they were saying, right? So that's one of the the things that I really like about this: uh, thousands of pages of of letters of the folks that were there. Now, granted. Uh, because you, you're looking back on it now in hindsight of the battle, you can tell that uh, you know that a lot of stuff that was written by these guys was written just from their point of view because they weren't they weren't aware of a lot of stuff that was going on uh, or the events that were spinning uh, out of control around them, but they knew what they were doing, and and that's the information that's really important. Anyway. Uh, after the Battle of Bunker's Hill, Gage was was just about where he'd been before before the battle, but but worse, he was weakened by heavy casualties, and uh, he was hemmed in by the American army that seemed to him to be growing constantly in strength. And this this was in fact an illusion. Uh, if Gage had seized the offensive right then, right there. After the battle on June 17th, uh, he might well have driven the Americans from their lines and lifted the siege. Now, I'm not going to say that 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 he was scattered to the four winds, but right after the battle, uh, if he if he would have uh, if he would have taken the, the remaining forces he had and uh, uh, and sallied forth from Boston, uh, he could I think he could have easily broken the siege and lifted the siege. But he didn't. Uh, the Americans were disorganized. They were tremendously uh, short of powder. Uh, you know, at one time, Washington was saying, he said, if if they even got a hint of how low of powder we were on, they would come out of Boston and they would attack us and drive us from the lines. Uh, so he had to constantly uh, make up stories uh, about how much extra powder he had. I think he even did some stuff like some. Now, at one point, they had they had stopped all of the firing of signal cannons and stuff like that because they just they had no gunpowder. But I believe he did uh, he he did some kind of stuff, uh, some kind of machinations that he had designed in order to make it seem like he did. And while Gage, while Gage didn't have uh, a tremendous amount of strength for a full frontal attack. He did control all the coastal waters, and he had all the ships, and which meant he had the mobility. He could easily have uh, embarked some men by sea and outflanked the uh, colonists there to siege. But he, once again, he didn't. However, in July, the American cause took a dramatic turn for the better. Uh, and this was just a month after the Second Continental Congress had met in Philadelphia, and 
and it finally took the army, the besieging army, uh, outside of Boston under its wing, and it appointed George Washington as the commander-in-chief of the army. Uh, It was an act of importance to to the colonists only only made second by the the uh, by the uh, declaration of independence other than that this was this was one of the single most important things the Continental Congress ever did was made Washington the commander in chief now we know from reading that he from the from reading the history of it, he had some really really uh rocky times in the beginning uh Washington was not that seasoned of a commander he'd only uh he commanded troops uh under the british during the french and indians and uh, and he'd had some rough times with that he'd been uh, most of the battle that he'd been there he had had been routes for his troops. <clears throat> anyway, but we do know now, looking back on it, that that this was the most important act that uh, that the Continental Congress did was to appoint George Washington as overall commander. Without Washington, I don't know. For me, it's very hard to have seen to see the the the. American Revolutionary War turning out like it did. Uh, all right, so uh, Washington arrived in Cambridge in early July to take uh, command, and uh, of course, when Washington got there, he was he was actually very appalled at what he saw. This was, it certainly was not the army he was expecting. Now. Though the American forces uh, numbered around sixteen to seventeen thousand men, there, there was no real army, and there was no unified command. Uh, there was no discipline. There was there were no commissary, uh, no no setup or provision for any military supplies, and and no money. There was no money. Uh, so when he got there, it was basically, uh, for all intents and purposes, it was. Now the men were usually in units, but because there was no overall command, nobody could tell anybody else what to do. So everybody was kind of doing basically what they felt like they should do, and there was no discipline. There was, uh, if you read about the the living conditions and stuff there, it was absolutely a horrific nightmare. You imagine 20,000 men, uh, and let me use the word again here, while going around and pooing wherever they want, no latrines, no uh, no sanitary conditions. Uh, it was a disaster. And, uh, uh, and worst of all, the soldiers had only enlisted for short short terms and and to a man they pretty much insisted on leaving the minute their time was up. All right? When their time was up, that was it. They packed up their stuff and they went home. 
Washington's first task when he got there was not was not any kind of a battle. His first task was was actually to create an army. He had to create an army uh, out of the raw material he had there, and uh, and Washington really wasn't that happy with the raw material he had. However, he addressed it the way he uh, the way he addressed everything else. He uh, jumped into it with a, an inexhaustible energy and with a patience. It said that sometimes wore rather thin. Uh, gradually, over the next couple of months, he uh, he got a system in of long term enlistments because normally the guys enlisted for. Uh, two months or three months or six months or like at the most a year, and he's the one that uh, that helped uh, initiate the long term enlistments because uh, I mean, maybe some of you guys aren't aware of this, but you know even in the American military, even nowadays you've got uh, a lot of time even just to be uh, even just to be a line dog, uh, you got four months of of just your initial training just to be a line dog. Now, it doesn't mean you really know how to do your job. It just means you've been taught how to learn how to do your job. And uh, and that's four months. Now, for most of the men in the, uh, in the militia and stuff like that, they, they were there, but nobody was getting any training. Nobody, uh, by the time anybody really figured out what was going on, they were there and the lesson was up, they were leaving. <clears throat> so he uh, he fixed the enlistment. He started working on fixing the enlistment. He stiffened the discipline. He began building barracks uh, for the troops. He started accumulating supplies and building out uh, and figuring out a supply system. Uh, he started weeding out the sorry officers that were there. He managed to uh, uh, to pry some money loose from Congress and, and did a pretty dang good job of whipping the army together into at least a a, uh, a, a facsimile of of what an army, a fighting army, should be. Now, fortunately, that summer and fall, the British really had no stomach for going on the offensive, right? They had taken their licks at uh, uh, on April 19th at the North Bridge and then along Battle Road back to Boston, and then uh, two months later at Bunker Hill, and they were they were in no mood to go out and do it over again. Plus, the life they were leading there in at, uh, in the siege in Boston was not very nice at all either. Almost immediately after the siege began, they had to start uh, going on rations, and they had to start uh, eating their their salt provisions. Uh, they couldn't get any fresh food, and uh, so they they really there were no offensive actions. Bunker Force, of course, had been a huge shock to them, and their reinforcements for them for the 800 plus men who had been killed or wounded. Were, were coming in only very slowly because remember they had to come in from overseas. Uh, 
Admiral Graves, who was running the Navy at that time for Gage, was not to be relied on. And uh, in September of uh, uh, 75, Gage was recalled. And how the 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 royalty were not happy with with Gage's handling of uh, the events from April 19th, even before that, uh, to the Battle of Bunker Hill. They were not happy with any of that. And so their solution was to get rid of him, put Howe in charge. And, uh, and the only problem with this is that, <laughs> that Howe really showed he didn't have any more energy or initiative than Gage had. However, uh, steadily through the fall and the winter, Months, disease, desertion, demoralization took their toll of the forces. Reinforcements did pour in, but presented uh, an additional burden for the British because they had more men, but they didn't have more supplies and no way to get them. Uh, Their food, their fuel, their medicine, everything uh, ran low. And that, they actually needed that at the time more than they needed new guys. They needed more supplies. Now, the Navy made sporadic displays of force, but without without a whole lot of without a whole lot of results. In October of that year, uh, there was a, an attack on Bristol, Rhode Island, and this was in order for them. The raid was designed for them to get sheep and cattle, and uh, and then uh, Graves uh, attacked Falmouth, Maine, and burned the city to the ground. And throughout the, the winter, there was a series of skirmishes uh, on the islands in the bay, you know, surrounding Boston. But most of it was really pretty inconclusive. There was no, there was, there was really nothing one way or the other that was decided. Now, during December, the American army was in grave danger of completely disintegrating. But a new army a new army was recruited and drilled and whooped into shape right at the last minute, which is another one of Washington's absolutely amazing feats. He lost one army and replaced it with another army with hardly a beat. Uh, and this was right in the middle of a siege. And uh, and by January 10th in 76, uh, there were 8,200 men on the rolls. And uh, by March of that same year, the number had increased to about 16,000. Now, this is down from the initial uh, 16 to 17,000 that were there when Washington arrived. He lost a huge number, uh, well over... Uh, three-fourths of those men, uh, the number was actually probably greater than that, that he lost, of that 16,000, and then was able to replace them and uh, and build the army back up to about 16,000 uh, by March of 76. Now, Washington, as I said before, he wanted to take the offensive, and he was at least hoping to draw Howe out for a fight. But the shortage of powder uh, and of grub and, and the powder and guns frustrated his plan. 
late in January, uh, Henry Knox, who we all know from uh, Knox the Bookstore, brought in 45 cannons and 16 mortars, which he'd hauled across the snow from Lake Champlain. And uh, the supply of powder improved also around his time. And finally, Washington felt strong enough to act. And uh, he, uh, at this time, he wrote a letter to his brother, who was uh, his brother-in-law, actually, Burwell Bassett. He said, we're preparing to take possession of a post which will, it is generally thought, bring on a rumpus between us and the enemy. Now, this post was Dorchester Heights. Now, let me back up for just a second so that to remind you guys that even though uh, even though I only I used only one sentence to to tell you about Knox's feet, if you go go to uh, go to the history book and read about what Knox did. Uh, in the dead of winter, he got a group of guys, and they went. Uh, uh, they went to the fort, <clears throat> uh, and they got uh, uh, forty-six cannon and sixteen mortars, uh, and they hauled across the snow from Lake Champlain in the middle of winter, and these cannon. Uh, this isn't the, the majority of this is not uh, like how you would envision cannon, you know, which is a light cannon on a couple of uh, round wooden wheels pulled by the horses, and you know, and it's just trotting along. A lot of these were were very heavy cannon, and there was no way to put them on any kind of a wheel. There was nothing strong enough to be made. They were put on sledges, and uh, they were drawn by teams of oxen, and and uh, they had to be taken across rivers in the middle of winter. Now, in some cases, they were taken across the frozen rivers. And in some cases, the uh, the frozen ice was not strong enough. And what Knox did is he went up there and he started chopping holes in the ice uh, because what would happen is the, the water would be forced up from under the ice and it would flow out on the ice and freeze and make it thicker. And he just kept doing that over and over. So he got the ice thick enough that he thought he could take the the cannons across. Some of the cannons uh, that were weighing uh, uh, five and six tons uh, a piece, and uh, and there was a couple of times where in the dead of winter the cannons fell through the ice, and they didn't walk off and leave them there. They rigged up the equipment to dive down, go and get the cannons, haul them back up to the surface, refit them on sleds. This is in the winter. I don't know about you, but I don't want the job of of jumping in the frozen river in the ice and swimming down and 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 attaching the ropes to the cannons and getting it. But they did, and uh, and they brought them all back. An unbelievable feat, one of hundreds that occurred during the American Revolutionary War that really nobody really hears about or knows about. You want to if you want to know about some unbelievable feats, look at uh, Knox's trip to go and get the cannon. Look at uh, 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 the traitor, uh, Benedict Arnold's attack on Quebec. Uh, not about the actual battle at Quebec, but about his travel to get there, about what he did. 
these are there are some unbelievable stories in our history. All right, so they get the cannon, and what they decide to do is they're going to occupy Dorchester Heights. Now, this has been su- suggested several times, but it hadn't been done because I guess they figured that if they if they uh, occupy Dorchester Heights, the British regulars would have no choice but to come out and try to remove them from that because once you had emplaced any artillery on Dorchester Heights, you'd be able to uh, you would be able to reach the ships in Boston Bay. Now it wasn't close enough that uh, that you were guaranteed of making a hit, but you know you could they could possibly fly on the ships in the bay and they could possibly hit uh, hit them with some luck maybe uh, a few times. So on March 4th, uh, General John Thomas and 2,000 men moved onto Dorchester Heights and they threw up prefabricated defenses. Remember, it was still uh, the ground was still icy, and uh, and they were afraid that they were not going to be able to dig any uh, defensive positions like they did at uh, Breed's Hill because there was just no way it was going to be, they were going to be able to do it because the ground was frozen. And uh, so what they did is they made uh, they made a huge amount of prefabricated uh, defensive uh, position type things and then in the middle of the night they hauled them into place and set them up uh, it was uh, it was Bunker's Hill all over again for the uh, the regulars only this time the Americans actually had all the advantages and uh, this time there was a new commanding general General Washington Howe did decide to counterattack at once but uh, but there were several days of bad weather that stopped him. He was, he was going to immediately when they when they woke up that morning and they saw the Dorchester Heights had been occupied. How said that's it? Get everybody ready. We're going over there. But before they could before they could do it, they had uh, absolutely horrific weather. Uh, you know they had uh, tremendously. Uh, terrible thunderstorms and lightning, uh, tremendous amount of lightning and cold, uh, freezing rain. And uh, it delayed the attack for several days. And then, uh, and finally, when when the weather cleared up, it was, it was too late. They, the British had really had no... They had no stomach for another Bunker Hill, and believe me, this one, like I said, this one was going to be tremendously worse. Remember over at uh, Breed's Hill, the Battle of Bunker Hill, the initial Battle of Bunker Hill, the the colonists really didn't have a whole lot of, they, they had a lot of guys shooting, but they didn't have a whole lot of uh, artillery, because they just didn't have any yet. Now, they've got the heights, the Dorchester Heights, and they've got it rigged up with uh, uh, almost 60 pieces of artillery. And uh, not only that, but instead of just having a few men, which is uh, like a couple of thousand that they had at Bunker Hill, now they've got uh, 
10,000 men and 60 pieces of artillery. Gage didn't even Gage didn't have half that number available for him to attack. And even though he, even though the records say he was still determined he was going to do it, and he was going to drive them off. The weather intervened, and actually, how I'm not Gage how how had been looking for a good reason to leave Boston. He'd been looking for a good reason to get out of there. And this is this is basically uh, the opening that uh, that they were looking for. And uh, he sent a, a message uh, to Washington saying that they're going to they're going to leave. And and if they were allowed to leave without being molested, then the town would be left standing. If there was any type of an attack on them while they were leaving, because they were within range of the guns from Dorchester Heights, if they were attacked while they were leaving, then they would put the city to the torch. And they would they wouldn't leave a single building standing, nothing. And uh, and Washington needed Boston, and uh, and the fact that they were that they were leaving was really all he was trying to do anyway. It wasn't. In the beginning, the whole idea was not to uh, to kill and defeat the British at every turn. It was mainly uh, it, it was mainly just to get them to leave uh, to leave their occupation of Boston, and this was accomplished. So, eleven months after the opening up of hostilities. The battle for Boston came to an end, not with a huge battle, but uh, but with the uh, the colonial militia occupying Dorchester Heights, and uh, like in a in a chess move, and forcing the British regulars to uh, to load up and set sail, and they did. They loaded everybody up, all of the Troops. They loaded up thousands of uh, loyalists, and they sailed for Halifax uh, in Canada. <laughs> and uh, and this is the beginning uh, of the end for them. Now, confronted by the the colonial intransigence, the, the British said decided to to play the tough role and uh, unfortunately for them their policy of toughness had brought them disaster everywhere. They'd been defeated along the road back to Boston from Concord. They had been defeated again at Bunker Hill. That was now clear. And finally, forced out of Boston. New York was in the hands of the Americans and uh, so too was Ticonderoga and Crown Point. And uh, Lord Dunmore had been forced to flee Virginia. After only one year of fighting, the British had been ousted uh, from the colonies. Now, meantime, the Americans had moved steadily toward independence during this last year. I told you at the beginning that wasn't that wasn't the goal. They all they wanted was their rights under the British Constitution. However, being denied those, once you set something like this in motion you get a lot of unintended consequences, and one of these unintended consequences was everybody started thinking about, hey, well, 
we've been we've been taking our care of ourselves and governing ourselves for a long time. And if these guys, if this is how they're going to to look at it, then then we'll just do it ourselves. And this is what set the colonists on the road to independence. Uh, they had created state governments in each of the states that carried all all, all all of the ordinary business of government. They, because of the siege of Boston, it had cemented a political union between the colonies, which which formed the nexus uh, of a fledgling government. Uh, they had organized and maintained an army. And they had inspired an American parliament, uh, an American party in parliament and in Britain. They had excited the sympathy and the timid aid so far, in the, in the beginning anyway, of France, who was already uh, no, no, no friend of Great Britain. You know, the French saw the... They saw the uh, the colonists uh, in the exact light that the colonists wanted them to be seen in, and the French were they were coming to the aid of the colonists, and it would eventually turn into uh, a compact uh, of of enormous proportions, and the French would turn the tables and help the colonists to win their independence. Uh, in Jefferson, in Franklin, in John Adams, John Jay, and certainly in Washington, they had found leaders for America more capable than those who directed the destinies of Britain at this crisis. They, uh, the, the leaders that we had uh are certainly uh, certainly proved to be much more uh capable in this crisis than the leaders in in britain uh let me take a look at the chat here and see if you guys are are saying anything or are asking anything okay guys remember that you can call at any time during the show and uh uh, and you're welcome to call at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. All right, three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And you're welcome to uh, uh, to to say uh, or to say thanks to anybody or to add anything to the uh, uh, to the show that you'd like, anything like that. So. Uh, uh, if you'd like to call in, we still have the lines open. Uh, you can call in, and uh, the uh, call screen will ask you what you want to talk about, and uh, we'll get you taken care of there. All right. Uh, let me make sure I didn't just uh, destroy the the uh, the studio. Okay. All right. No. I got it. It must have been on one of those uh one of those blog talk uh, limbo things. Okay. <laughs> uh 
back and talk a little bit about the history of how Washington ended up in command, because uh, there were several directions that uh, the Congress could have gone in. And there are several, uh, several folks who were under consideration uh, for appointment as overall commander. Uh, we know that at the time that Lee, General Lee, who who was a British general, uh, was certainly considered to be the most experienced, although uh, tremendously uh, eccentric. Uh, was supposed to be the the most experienced uh, army officer available, and uh, and he had resigned his British uh, commission right uh, at the beginning, right at the outset of the the hostilities. So certainly he was being considered uh, as a commander. Now uh, there were several folks at this time being considered. Uh, uh, for overall command. Uh, so in May of 1775, the uh, Second Continental Congress uh, met in Philadelphia, and it took the members uh, about uh, about a month uh, to get around to the to the military problems presented by the fighting around Boston. Uh, about a month, okay. So what does that tell you? It tells you that the guys back then were certainly no better at uh, at fixing things uh, with their mouths than than the guys are today, right? Uh, it takes them a month to get around uh, to to working on the military problems uh, presented by the siege of Boston. Uh, early in June, the Congress did commit itself to some kind of responsibility. Uh, as far as uh, concerning the armies besieging Boston. And uh, on June 15th, it finally, finally took steps which were to prove very decisive. Uh, on a motion from John Adams, it uh, it unanimously appointed George Washington to command all the Continental forces. Now, the reasons for the choice of Washington were... were were pretty obvious and compelling. Of all the Americans, he really had the most uh, the most lustrous military reputation. He he was from Virginia, and both the both of the Adams thought it was thought it desirable to play down the the New England role by electing a Southerner to the chief command, right? <clears throat> Now, he was rich and aristocratic. He was a moderate, but he was indubitably a patriot. He had the bearing and the character that inspired confidence. Like I said, some of the other guys were, Lee was uh, was an accomplished general for the British, but he was eccentric, uh, borderline crazy. Uh, Washington was not. He, he had the bearing and the character that inspired confidence. Now, it, it, it suggested that no other name was proposed or even considered uh, except uh, except maybe by Hancock, uh, who, uh, who 
it was uh, thought had actually been trying to propose himself uh, as commander, of, overall commander of the army. And it's interesting that the uh, that John Adams himself could actually write to his wife uh, of the modest and virtuous, the amiable and generous and brave George Washington. Now, Washington accepted the command uh, with a very simple speech and very modestly, he, in which he, he, he had always carried himself with great grace and with great honor and bearing uh, throughout all of the uh, all of his uh, his roles in the American Revolutionary War, and uh, and in his speech, he also added that he would refuse any compensation uh, above his expenses. And uh, throughout the war, he held very rigorously to this decision. That means he was taking no money other than he was asking to be compensated for what he paid out. Now, of course, at the end of the war, <laughs> whenever he, when he actually uh, uh, submitted expenses, you know, they were, uh, Congress was very, you know, penny-pinching, and uh, I don't think they were very happy about paying him, but they did. Uh, at the same time, Congress uh, was pushing ahead with the, with a more elaborate-type military establishment. Uh, they had picked four major generals to work under uh, Washington, who was the the commanding general, but the the uh, uh, the equivalent of, of of the of the five star general that we would have now. Uh, that was uh, Artemis Ward, who was at, who was actually then uh, commanding the New England troops around Boston. Charles Lee, uh, who I was telling you about, who had who had fought. Uh, with the British as a general and with the Polish. And uh, uh, Philip Schuler, uh in New York, who, like Washington, had a, a pretty decent military reputation from the French and Indian War. Uh, and finally, the, the hero from Connecticut, uh, General Israel Putnam. Now Washington did. He, he finally got through with his business here in Philadelphia, and on June 23rd he he left and he arrived in Cambridge ten days later, and there he was met by a delegation uh, from the Massachusetts Provincial Congress uh, with an address apologizing for the condition of the army. Here's <laughs> the army. We're sorry. Uh, and let's see, here's what they said. The hurry with which it was necessary to necessarily collected and the many disadvantages arising from a suspension of government, they said, accounted for much of the difficulty. And uh, the general would also please to remember that the greatest part of the soldiers have never before seen service. And although naturally brave and of good understanding, yet, for want of experience in military life, 
have but little knowledge of diverse things most essential to the preservation of health and even life. <laughs> they have little knowledge of most of the essential things to the preservation of health and even life. So here's what you got, Washington. We're sorry, but this is what you got. And, of course, Washington, uh, he, he took it in stride. He immediately, uh, he immediately set about uh, fixing it. Uh, he wrote to General Schuler, uh, who was then on duty in New York. He'd already sent Schuler to New York. That uh, confusion and disorder reigned in every department. However, we mend every day. And I flatter myself that in a little time, we shall work up these raw materials into good stuff. <clears throat> and he did. <clears throat> and uh, it took a good bit of doing. And, of course, Washington was never really happy with the New England forces. Uh, he he didn't like their familiarity. He didn't like the their casual attitudes. He didn't like... Uh, to see captains shaving privates and stuff like that, and he was never he was never happy with them, and he was never happy with the actual militias themselves. He put a little, very little faith in them, uh, but he began right then and there to create what would become the Continental Army, and and that was the army that once started has been in existence all the way to this day, and uh, I. Uh, if anybody wants to call, you got about uh, you got about two minutes left. If you need, if you feel like you need to get in uh, a last uh, second uh, statement or anything, three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. Anyway, that takes us to the the end of the the siege of Boston. All right. So now the the British have left. They sailed to Halifax. They're regrouping. They're trying to figure out what to do next. And they're putting together uh, a force that had never before been seen in the colonies. It is a huge force that's going to come ashore where? They don't know where. Somewhere it's going to come ashore where. And when it does, that's when the fighting is going to begin in earnest. And so right now... uh, Everyone is busying themselves with trying to actually figure out how to set up an army, how to set up a nation, uh, how to get supplies, how to how to get everything, how to make everything, how to do everything for themselves and set it up in preparation for the battle that they knew was coming. Okay, guys, uh, I want to thank everybody that uh, called in tonight, and uh, I want to uh, to tell you that uh, we'll be here this next. Thursday, 7 p.m. Central, and uh, we'll uh, I'll talk to Freedom V and get uh, his daughter ready to uh, to read her uh, poetry to you next Thursday. So look forward to it then. Be sure and send me any uh, any of the things that you any of the guests that you might like to have. God bless and keep you all. We'll see you next Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. Central. All right. Before I forget,
it. Let me tell you guys, too. I want to thank my uh, co-host, who's here with me every single time I am. It's a great job that he does, all right? All right, guys, love. Good night. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.